This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Chapter 8 Twaddle Brackets. Jesse Moffat's tongue could not be bridled. Before sundown of the next day, every man, woman, and child from Timberley to Woodridge had learned of the mysterious death of Henry Shook's cow and how Thorne Tomlinson had drawn milk from a cucumber named Flossie. They had learned about a doll she had made and dressed in a scrap of Abigail Tomlinson's wrapper. They heard how the sick woman had been seized with a violent illness when she discovered pins stuck into the doll's body. By nightfall, Saturday, it was being openly talked about in the public square at Woodridge that Richard Tomlinson's wife was dying of witchcraft practiced by the elfin, foundling whom he had brought into his home. Mitch Rucker, a distant cousin of the Tomlinson's, stood on the very steps of the academy and related to all who would listen how he had told his cousin Richard time and again that there was something queer about that child. And he'd better get rid of her. Mitch Rucker's words carried weight because he was a war veteran and had been at Appotomatix. To be sure he had done little since except stand around and talk, he found it uncomfortable to sit down telling over and over how he had driven an ammunition wagon for four years and never got a scratch until the very last day of the fighting. But he was a hero for all that. And when he declared his belief that the girl at Timberley was a witch, his words carried the ring of authority. They also carried to the ears of the schoolmaster, John Barkley. Usually the mildest of men exploded when he heard Mitch Rucker's talk. I forbid you to repeat such malicious gossip. You forbid? Since when does a schoolmaster decide what fighting men shall think? I'm not deciding. I'm merely asking that you do think and stop spreading fantastic lies. I was at Timberley last night. I happen to know there's not a word of truth in the wild tale that's going about. Henry Shook's cow died, didn't she? Yes, but... And that girl got milk from a cucumber. She played a trick. A sleight-of-hand trick. It had nothing to do with Shook's cow. Use your head, Mitch. You're not superstitious, I hope. Mitch Rucker's retort became a classic. I went through four years of fighting without getting a scratch. Without eating anything stronger than mule meat. And then by golly, on the last day, I get a bullet in my behind. And you ask me if I'm superstitious? The talk reached Lucius Goff as he was boarding the evening train for Terre Haute. Bombarded with queries about the alleged table tipping, he airily equivocated. Nothing to it. We played and sang and pulled a few tricks of parlor magic which frightened Mrs. Tomlinson. I know nothing about anybody's cow. Dr. Caxton, assailed by direct questioning, bluntly told people to mind their own business. He admitted having been called to treat Abigail Tomlinson. She had had a nervous spell, but otherwise was in sound health. He disclaimed any knowledge of dead cows or childish pranks. 
He professed total ignorance on the subject of cucumbers stuck with toothpicks, or dolls stuck with pins. At mention of witchcraft, he snorted, blew his nose, and said, Damnation. When the story came to the blacksmith shop, it was greeted with stolid silence. Not until late afternoon, when a red-whiskered man strode into the shop, did Doc Baird lay down his tools and give heed to a questioner. For the man was Otis Hoos, a lawyer and near relative of Abigail Tomlinson. He could cause Richard trouble if he had a mind. So, for his friend's sake, Doc Baird gave a brief account of the occurrences at Timberley the night before. All this talk can be laid to Jesse Moffat. Jesse is a stupid fellow and likes to feel important. Children's pranks and a cow dropping dead made a good yarn, so he lost no time in spreading it. What about my cousin's strange seizure? Your cousin, Mr. Hughes, has been having strange seizures ever since I've known her said Doc calmly. If there's any persecution going on at Timberley, it's Richard, not his wife, who's the victim. He regretted afterwards that he had let his feeling get the better of him, for Hoos's sandy face flushed ominously, and he left the shop without another word. Doc watched from his doorway and saw him turn into the personage of the Methodist church. The minister, an easygoing, kindly gentleman, admittedly not much of a preacher, listened while his visitor talked. He had heard about the gossip that was sweeping the town, but had decided to ignore it. Upon Otis Hoos's sharp insistence that there was more to it than gossip, he said mildly, Surely, Mr. Hughes, a man of your mental caliber puts no credence in witchcraft. I'm not talking about witchcraft. I'm talking about the situation at Tomlinson's. I think you, Brother Jameson, as pastor of the church, ought to do something about it. Mr. Jameson sighed. People were always asking him to meddle in other people's business. Oh, what can I do, Mr. Hughes? You can find a home for that girl Tomlinson insisted on taking into his family. That's easier said than done. Doesn't the church help support an orphanage near Greencastle? I seem to recall being asked to contribute to it. There was such a place. The minister had once talked to Mr. Tomlinson about the orphanage. He had been opposed to sending the little girl there. It's your duty to talk to him again, said the lawyer harshly. I'm convinced my cousin will never be well as long as that girl is in the house. Mr. Jameson made no promises. But the next morning at the preaching service, he looked expectantly towards the Tomlinson pew. Neither Richard, his wife, nor his mother was present. There was only young Will Tomlinson and the three children, besides the schoolteacher who was their boarder. Mr. Jamison proposed to speak to Will Tomlinson after church. But before he could reach him, the young man was out of the building. When the minister finally made his hand-shaking way to the door, only the schoolteacher was in sight. She had come back for a ridicule left in the pew. Miss Armory, if you please, just a moment. Oh, good morning, Mr. Jameson. You'll pardon my haste? The others are waiting for me in the Surrey. I wanted to inquire about Miss Abigail. How is she? Too ill to come out this morning, Mr. Jameson. Oh, is it anything serious? For a moment, the minister saw 
or fancied he saw a look of guilt in the young woman's eyes. And then it was gone, and her gaze was clear and candid. We hope not, Mr. Jameson, though we're all worried about her. He expressed his sympathy and concern and said that he would be out to see her. Miss Amory thanked him and said she was sure a visit from her pastor would do Mrs. Tomlinson good. The minister watched with curious interest the trim figure of the schoolmistress as she crossed the church lawn and climbed into the Tomlinson buggy. There was an odd exuberance in her walk, a touch of proprietorship in the way she took her place in the back seat with Richard's children. The little girl who was the subject of all this controversy was on the front seat with young Will. And then Mr. Jamison realized that other people were waiting to shake his hand. He was forced to put the Tomlinsons out of his mind. Stay tuned to the end of the show for a preview to next week's episode. Hey everyone, I'm Valerie Moss and I'm the narrator for this mystery book, Project EF, as well as producer and director. You can find me at ValerieMoss.ca and check out my podcast, Valerie's Variety Podcast. The show is about eating, reading, and creating. I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Here's the cast of characters for today's show. Hi, I'm Jack Hewson. I'm from Adelaide, Australia. I play Mitch Rucker, Mr. Weatherspoon, and the Pennsylvania Man. Uh, you can find me at Jack in the Hat on Instagram um, or find my podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search up Tiger Phonics. That's T-I-G-E-R-F-O-N-I-X. And yeah, get in touch. See ya. These are true stories from the dark side of the internet. I'm Jack Resider. This is Darknet Diaries. Hi, my name is Kylie and I'm playing the role of Judith. You can find me in my new podcast called Cryptic Soup, streaming now. You can also connect with me on my website, kingmarketingbykylie.com, and on my Instagram, at kmorgan, with two A's. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestle Life Radio. But wait, this isn't Wrestle Life Radio, but this is Matt Sin from Wrestle Life Radio. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, and I play the role of Doc Baird. You can find me at WrestleLifeMatt on Instagram and Twitter, but please follow my show at WrestleLifeRadio on Facebook and Instagram and WrestleLifePod on Twitter. You can listen to us anywhere you get your shows, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Radio Public, and of course, Anchor. I look forward to interacting with all of you very soon. Hi. 
Hello, my name is David Boisvert. I'm a musician who currently resides in the Nashville, Tennessee area. I'm a saxophonist, keyboardist, and vocalist for three bands that play in and around Nashville, as well as the Southeast U.S., and have session recorded for a variety of local artists. It was my pleasure to record the songs Rock of Ages and Praise God From Whom All Blessings Flow on piano. I performed the character Lucius Goth as well as Miscellaneous Man in the final episode. I'm pleased to say that Valerie is my cousin, and I'm so proud of her for producing Valerie's Variety podcast as well as her audiobooks. I'm grateful to be a part of this project, and I hope you have enjoyed listening as much as I have. Music for this show is by Text Me Records and Leviath called The Black Cat. Cover art image by Danny Muller. Podcast trailer and cover art designed by me, Valerie Moss. Here's a preview for next week's show. The two women looked at each other in silence. Then the eyes of the younger woman fell. At this time, Abigail lay upon her bed, refusing to eat. When the other visitors had gone, Mr. Jameson said, I wonder whatever became of that doll Miss Tomlinson seems so distressed about. The schoolmistress. The children were in the habit of undressing by the downstairs fire because the upper rooms were unheated. One night, when the two little boys had already scampered upstairs with their grandmother, Disclaimer. Margaret Eckhard is the author of this book, the audio drama is based off of. Copyright 1941 by Doubleday Publishing House, now owned by Penguin Random House, who only supports current authors, who checked all available resources and directories for literary rights agents and contacts and found nothing. We tried to track down errors of Eckhart's, but to no avail. We reached out to the Indiana Library, who houses the largest amount of articles of Margaret Eckhart. They provided us with a renewal ID, R579915, and had consulted directories for her heirs and contacts. However, found nothing beyond Doubleday Publishing House, which was a dead end. We searched extensively for the copyright holders of this book to get permission to make the audio drama, but were unable to find them. And if anyone has any information about the copyright for the book or the rights holders, please reach out to me.